there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The following is a presentation of the Speedsport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight, and we'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Today's guest, 12 victories, 30 pole positions in his career as a NASCAR crew chief. Crew chief for Alan Kowicki's 1992 NASCAR Winston Cup Series Championship. Stops along the way include Petty Enterprises, DEI, Michael Waltrip Racing, currently at Kyle Busch Motorsports. And there is a very, very long, deep Wallace connection here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Paul Andrews. Say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Doing good, Paul. Uh, sounds like you're doing well, getting all over at that shop, I assume, getting all those hot rod trucks ready to go, I, I guess, right? That's, absolutely, yeah. We've got a um, nose and tail change and hood change this year. I think all the, all the truck series do, but uh, all the truck series teams do. But, uh, yeah, so we're getting all those ready. They're trickling in little by little, waiting on parts, uh, but everything's moving right along. We're going we're gonna to get to your, your story in a minute here, but I'm going to ask, you said parts are trickling in. I read a story last night that where a lot of teams, both truck, cup-wise, 
are starting to get worried that their parts are not coming quick enough. Anything happening to you guys on that front? Well, we're not exactly worried yet, but we are concerned. Uh, you know, but it's more about it's not a, there's no uh, shortage, nothing like that. But and it's more about just getting ramped up for uh, with the new molds because, like I said, new noses, tails, and hoods. All that is uh, is composite material now. Uh, so you know, just getting those. You know, I think five stars in everything. So getting those guys getting their you know the second molds built and things like that, so we can start really moving on. It's not bad. We have we have uh, for four for three teams here. We have two trucks on site with nose and well, I'll say three trucks on site with nose and tail. Um, and then, uh, but that's that's where we're at right now. So uh, I think we're picking up another one today or tomorrow. We're sending another one off to be uh, get a nose and tail put on it. So uh, it, it's it's slowly getting there. But I really feel like in january we'll be in decent shape you know we won't have everything done we'll have you know we'll, we'll be in decent shape jeff what i was talking about there is all the teams all the truck series teams have got to change the nose hood and tails for next year all the brands right got all the new cup cars coming i've heard people complain about cup car you know the new what do they call that car paul next gen car or gen x six car yeah. or whatever yep exactly right. they're all complaining <laughs> that they can't get parts and denny hamlin come out yesterday voicing his displeasure but uh Away from that, let's get to Paul Andrews. This is a this is a good story. So, everybody that's listening out there, Paul, they're they're wanting to know where our guests come from. How did you get to be a championship crew chief? So take us back to wherever you want to start at. As a young guy, did you have interest <laughs> in motorsports, or did you grow up in a different part of the country? Uh, yeah, you started for us. Yeah, I grew up in uh, in uh, northern the middle of Louisiana. Uh, and just there was really not a lot of motorsports around, you might say, but I was always a car guy. Uh, my grandfather, uh, my grandfather and grandparents raised me. Uh, so, you know, he, he's, he's from a generation where, you know, you fix, you fix what's wrong. You know, there's no taking it anywhere. You know, you just, you had, well, of course, things are a little simpler to fix back then, too. But so he, he, you know, I learned from him on how to work on things. And then I was always just a car guy. And, you know, that's kind of how it started, you know, just a, a guy who loved cars and watched drag races, which is what was around us at the time. You know, it wasn't really many, uh, there was a couple of dirt tracks that I found out later about. I really didn't know at the time. I just wasn't out and about seeing this stuff. But that's really where, you know, the, the passion came from cars, just working on them as a kid and, and then working on them as a as I grew up on my own stuff, more out of necessity because I didn't have a nickel to, you know, <laughs> I didn't have a dime to my name. <laughs> wow. So what was your first car? What do you remember working on, first of all, or helping work on? Uh, so so I, uh, the first car I owned was I actually, well, not in, uh, the first car I drove, let's put it that way, from uh, that I, my, uh, my cousin had lost his license. <laughs> and uh, he had a uh, 71-ish Challenger purple challenger and then i got to use that for six months while he didn't have a license so i had to call his brother around which my his brother and, and me were real good buddies you know so and we were very similar in age uh, my cousin that lost his license uh had had uh you know he had uh he was he was quite he was i don't know five years old or something like that so but anyway so i got to drive that for like six months and that was that was dangerous there, but <laughs> well, we, but we won't ask why uh, he lost his license, will we, Jeff? Definitely speed was in, speed was involved. <laughs> you know, lots of 
drag racing, uh, you know, street drag racing, that was pretty popular back then. And I don't think, I don't remember what he lost it for. I think it was probably just mini tickets, if I had to guess. And because uh, that was, you know, that happened a lot. But uh, <laughs> but I bought a, uh, as a kid, I bought a 69 Chevelle. Uh, that was my first car that I owned. I, I, I bought that car my, myself, paid for it myself. I'm not, I don't remember if I paid cash or financed a little bit. I think I might have paid cash for it because I'd, I've been working since I was like 12 or 13 years old in my uh, in my the same uncles uh, that had the son who lost his license uh, by working his restaurants. So I kind of had always made money, and uh, you know, and I did stuff for my grandfather, who's also worked for my my uncle, his son. So that's how I had the how I got the money. It wasn't that, uh, and I got earned every nickel myself, and and uh, bought that '69 Chevelle, and uh, it was it was crazy, but it was uh, it was you know it was it. Uh, Got me where I wanted to go, and it was a neat car to have, and uh, went through high school with all that, and, and uh, ended up getting something else along the line after I finally tore that one up. <laughs> well, high school with a 69 Chevelle, that's pretty cool. I had a Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. 69 Chevelles had a decent back, back seat back. in them, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had big back seat. Absolutely, big cars, yep. <laughs> yeah. Also, get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> good, good or bad trouble, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. So you grew, created that passion to work on cars down there in Louisiana. And I, I guess I'm right. a little privileged to the whole backstory, but that everybody else doesn't know. So I'm excited to hear you explain it. So you're, you're in Louisiana, you're drag racing, street racing, we'll put it that way, enjoying working right. on cars. Yeah. Just playing. Yeah, playing around. And then then where do you go? So, so as I mentioned earlier, and that's kind of why I mentioned that, my grandparents raised me. Um, uh, my mother, we didn't have a great relationship, uh, you know, you know, as, as a young kid. And so anyway, she'd, you know, if we had a relationship, but not, nothing great. She'd since remarried and everything. And, and we just, she'd been on me to come live with her, you know, and, and try to, you know, just try to be a, you know, try to just be a different type of family, I guess you might say. So I was 18 years old, fresh out of high school and didn't have a care in the world, didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, you, you know, just, you know, she said, so finally she convinced me to come, come live with her. And, uh, so we ended up in, we ended up in St. Louis and then, uh, I'm working at, a at, a, at a, my uncle, my stepfather's, um, uh, ran a uh, motel and then, uh, working in a motel in the maintenance department. And then, uh, yeah, so this is where you come in. So <laughs> in the maintenance, you know, so working in the motel in the maintenance department and then, you know, this is, you know, late 70s, and, and so there's no Internet. We have yellow pages, right? Uh, there's no cell phones. So flip through the yellow pages, find a, 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 well, let's back up a little bit. I've been working in the maintenance department. We have a large wet dry vac, uh, you know, that, that broke. And uh, so I tore the thing apart in a thousand pieces, and I said, okay, I need, thought to myself, I need this, this, and this. So I looked up in the yellow pages, found a vacuum cleaner store that was OK Vacuum, where your uncle Gary was working, and uh, and him and him and your dad ran OK Vacuum. Uh, I think they owned it and ran it because it's a you know, small small shop. Anyway, went to the OK Vacuum and said, talk talk to the guy behind the counter, and I said, hey, uh, this is what I've got. This is what I need right here. Do you have these parts? And he looked at me kind of funny. I didn't even think he looked at me kind of funny, but I kind of, after it's all said and done, he, and he started, he started asking me questions. So, so what, what do you think you need this, you know, and things like that. And 
you know, ask, just asking general questions like that. I said, well, you know, I did this, and it looks like it's, you know, needs a spark range armature or needs vacuum uh, brushes or something like that. Something real crazy. But anyway, so he, before I left, we started talking, and he offered me a job. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, the... You know, like I said earlier, I didn't have a care in the world, and and uh, and I really didn't want to work in the maintenance department at a motel. It was just not for me. Uh, so I said, you know, and I didn't answer him then, you know, at all. I said, you know, so but he offered me a job for a left, and and um, so we we I think I might have called him back later on, and I went back and thought about it, and you know, and, uh, and decided I'd take the job. And you know, so I didn't really, like I said, I didn't want to be. A maintenance guy in a, in a motel, and and then uh, so he took the job working for OK Vacuum, and the, the first first job I had was uh, me and Rusty moved everything in that little store. It seemed like everything. I'm sure there's other people helping, but we made one million trips from the little store to the new big store in Manchester, uh, which is right outside of St. Louis. They're still in St. Louis Now, when County. you say Rusty, you're talking about Rusty Wallace, right? Rusty Wallace, yep, your brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's how I met Rusty. And again, I didn't know anything about circle track racing. Uh, I didn't know, and I very knew very little about drag racing. Just knew about, you know, just knew I liked cars. So, but we, him and I moved everything back to the, to the, moved everything from the little store that they were closing, moving to a big store, big warehouse store, and uh, we 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 ran the road back and forth, uh, unloaded and worked our butt off, you know. Um, and then uh, and got to working at OK Vacuum for about a year, and then uh, and of course worked with Rusty and and and, and uh, you know, worked on vacuum cleaners and floor scrubbers and you know anything you could think of. We worked on it, you know, as far as in that in that range. But so sooner shortly uh, after I've been there, and of course like some Rusty and I ran the roads for you know for it seemed like a week or two uh moving the store and, and then of course they were talking to me he's telling me what he does and and you know as far as erasers and all that stuff so i thought that was pretty cool i said and of course he wanted me to come help and of course volunteer no <laughs> not, not free help yeah. yeah there had exactly. to be chocolate yeah. donuts and soda back in the day i guarantee you right yeah exactly right yeah free, so free help so uh and i and i didn't know a thing about none of that stuff you know and and the next thing you know you know uh uh, Jeff Thousand and myself were both working at OK Vacuum, and Jeff came to volunteer at night, and and uh, and I think he uh, we'd been there like I said about a year, maybe a little longer, not, but not much. Um, he said he wanted he wanted to, uh, of course he had his nighttime business, and it was uh, called a poor boy chassis, and of course he raced also uh, on the weekends, and and I don't even remember if I ever went to the racetrack before. I think I had to go to the racetrack, but. You know, we went to, um, like, the local racetracks, go to Springfield, Missouri, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and then back back home to, uh, like, Hill Speedway right down the street from the shop in St. Louis. So, you know, I, that, that part's all fuzzy when all that started, but I'm pretty sure that started pretty much right away. Um, and they taught, Rusty taught me a lot. I mean, all of you guys did, really, you know, uh, taught me a lot. Of, I didn't know how to weld. I didn't know how to do anything like that, you know, so... Uh, taught me how to do all that to cut metal and put. I know uh, we'd, we'd, you know, during the winter, especially, we'd roll uh, drag cars, you know, street cars, and turn them into drag cars in six point cages. We'd, Rusty could bend those things up so fast, it would make your head spin. He, you know, build, bend a six point cage and 
him and I would put them in. It seemed like we put three or four of them in a, in a, on a Saturday, or maybe on a Saturday and Sunday. But, uh, you know, we had a good time with that and just did all kinds of stuff like that. It was, uh, you know, again, a four-board chassis. I built clips for Larry Shaw, dirt cars. and uh, But, you know, again, I didn't know nothing at all about any of this stuff. I just knew how to work on cars out of necessity and loved cars, of course. You know, I still love cars. So that's kind of how it all started, you know. And we did all this, you know, with, out of that shop. I went to work for Rusty after a year between – I guess I kind of jumped ahead a little bit on that. But it, between – like after that first year, Rusty offered Jeff Dawson the job to come to work full-time. Now, Paul and just Jeff said didn't every, want to do it. Just that everybody knows that since he's thrown Jeff thousands a couple times, Jeff was a guy in St. Louis, but he works for Penske Racing today and has from so this whole sucking vacuum cleaner business. Yeah, <laughs> created some yeah, good racers. I mean, it, you know, and, and I, in, in doing a little prep for this show, I learned that anybody who is anybody in NASCAR apparently worked for Uncle Gary's vacuum <laughs> shop at some point. You know well, what I mean? At least our friend group. <laughs> at least our, well, your tight, right. your you know, tight it, circle, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, the, the vacuum cleaner story, even though as we say it sucked, it's, uh, vacuum cleaner sucked. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, that was good for all of us early on. That's nah, funny. Yeah, I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it was. You're exactly right. And, and, and you know, like you said, like I said earlier, some of that stuff just runs together. You don't know really when all when it all happened. You know, but but Jeff didn't didn't want to take the job, uh, and I did. When did Jeff move down to Charlotte? He, he moved to Charlotte probably. Oh, hell I don't know. It was after long after time ago. Was a, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been out a long time, but it took him a while to, you know, to take that full-time racing job because uh, that was, uh, you know, that's not something you do uh, back then. You know, you'd go to work, race, go to work on race cars for full time. You know, so my my grandparents, uh, their statement was, well, "What are you going to do with the rest of your life?" You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, uh, you know, of course they're long gone by now, but they're, you know, I'm still doing it, so that's that's the good thing about it. But uh. You know, it, that was uh, it was just a it was a fun time back then for sure. You know, we ended up uh, hold, hold that thought, Paul. Right. Hold yep. that thought right there. Jeff okay. Kent is going to take us somewhere. Then we're going to come we're back. Gonna come back, and we're going full time racing, all out, all out. Tim and Rusty <laughs> Wallace going racing. We're talking a long time NASCAR crew chief Paul Andrews. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportsStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportsStore.com. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest, longtime NASCAR crew chief, Paul Andrews. Mike, take it away. Well, Paul, we've been talking about how you got to St. Louis. And uh, we're kind of recapping. You grew up in Louisiana. You were playing with race cars. You got to St. Louis. You were a maintenance guy. You went to OK Vacuum. You ended up getting hired there, working with Rusty Wallace, just you guys hanging out. And he offers you a job in the race world. Tell us about it from there. Yep, that's right. So we, uh, you know, we worked, ran, uh, you know, many races locally. Uh, as race and Rusty got more successful, we ran the, I mentioned earlier, Springfield, Missouri, and Fort Smith, Arkansas, then drove all the way home uh, 
to Lake Hill Speedway, which is right down the street from the shop. And, you know, that went on for I don't even know how long. And then uh, every step along the way, you know, we wanted to try to progress. And there was USAC stock cars in there, uh, ASA uh, racing. ASA, uh, you know, I think was probably first. We'd go up to uh, we'd go up to Wisconsin area and run. You know, they, up there they run seven nights a week because they have such short summers. So uh, we'd go up there and run the seven nights. We may stay up for a large uh, Artco race. Uh, or then, or maybe an ASA race, or and it may go vice versa. Or maybe they do hit the ASA race and then stay up there, you know, for a few weeks. And, and or yeah, and, and literally, I think we were gone 30 days one time. But uh, we, we would also get into the one of the things I remember is Rusty getting the speed sport or not um, the raceway directory out and looking for racetracks to go and call them up, try to get some show money. Which show money is just they pay you to show up, and which pays some of your expenses and. And you kind of learn how to you win you win off of that, you know. As far as that's all he ran off of, you know. He ran uh, he worked hard for everything he's got, that's for sure. And then uh, when we ran all those races, uh, you know, he had a little help from John Childs and a few other sponsors along the way, but there was nobody backing him. Uh, it was uh, a lot of hard work every minute of the day and every night of the day, most of the time all night. But uh, uh, you know, I had to get there early in the morning after I've been there all night too. So. so so going back, Jeff Jeff visualized this. This is long before the internet or cell phones or anything. And Paul mentioned first of all, we're going to talk about the American ASA American Speed Association. If you look at Cup drivers, all the hero drivers back in the day come out of ASA. That's the very best short track racing there was. But then they get a book out that lists all the racetracks in the country. There is no internet. There's no right. And they, they call around to figure out where they're going to go race. Right. We don't see if somebody wants to pay them to show yeah, up. Yeah. But, but I mean, this directory, <laughs> right. right, Paul? It was like a, a one inch thick book and kind of like what they yep. call them a half well, size. Isn't your brother or... Kenny doing that right now? Except, <laughs> except he's using the internet. No fair. <laughs> there you go. So I just, I, there's stories when you throw up little things like that, the Speedway directory and stuff. So you guys are working really hard. You're working as adamantly as hard as you can day and night to go racing and self-paying, self-funding the program and uh, right. a little bit of help. And so where where's the big time come for you two? Uh, where does it start all looking like, wow, this was a really good deal to do? So, you know, the uh, the USAC Star Cars running against A.J. Foyt, I think we finished second there, won the Rookie of the Year a couple of years in a row. There was a lot of races, you know, like – kind of like this kind of the arca series then but the asa is really what propelled rusty to to uh to soccer races actually won the asa championship in whatever year that was 81 ish or something like that uh you know this one that he got you know talked about a lot but you know mark martin had been here uh you know he'd been in the nascar side and, and uh already uh you know so there's you know people knew the, the cup owners knew who what the asa series was knew what they produce as far as talent you know they produced a lot of talented drivers back then uh so so that's kind of i think that was probably the, what got rusty on the map in, in the zsa series toward the end you know uh, toward the end of that series uh in the in the late 80s so early uh, 80s, 80s. so if i remember semi facts or what reading a little bit too 1983 you guys won the sa asa championship okay all right okay. then there you go yep exactly yep. right and uh so as you win the SA championship, uh, Rusty, you guys continue SA racing, or what goes on from that point? I think things so, changed up a little bit at that point. Yep. So Rusty, uh, Rusty moved to North Carolina. 
And he sent me to Louisiana. He sent you to Louisiana? You, you didn't come from Louisiana once. Yeah, so that was kind of funny. It was just a pure coincidence. But, you know, along the way, the people who helped Rusty out, was uh, a guy named Nicky Prejean, you know, and he owned uh, – he, he were – Rusty drove his cars from that were housed down south. And then not all of them, you know, not all the time, but still, you know, Nicky – Nicky loved uh, loved Rusty a lot, and then uh, wanted to, you know he wanted to run wanted Rusty still to drive for him after he was in the Cup Series. So, you know, with the schedule the way it was, it's like 15 or so races, you know, that we could run. And so, but Nicky didn't have anybody to uh, anybody to take care of the cars, you know, like you know crew chief them and build them and everything else. So that's where I came in, and then uh, so we took all of Rusty's leftover shop equipment and then uh, put it in his tow rig. And then uh, drove the stuff down to Louisiana, put some of it in storage, used some of it. Uh, I think there might have been a car involved in that, too. I don't remember how that went. Uh, then at the time, um, let's see, I had a one-year-old little boy, and I threw everything in the back. You know, I think I made a couple of trips from St. Louis to Louisiana, South Louisiana. The South Louisiana is right in called, a little town called Gonzales. It's in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, so it's way south compared to where I was raised. But uh, so I put my one-year-old little Tim Andrews and and, uh, and my my uh, Evelyn, my wife, and then uh, I had a uh, a blue something T-bird. No, not T-bird. I'm sorry. I wish it was a T-bird. Look at there. He answered car, the question L- before I asked it. What car did you have? <laughs> All right. I had a blue two-door LTD that your dad uh, <laughs> loaned me the money to buy, but I was working an OK vacuum. Because I didn't, didn't you know, when you don't have a carry, you usually don't have any credit either. <laughs> so, you know, I, I didn't have enough credit to buy a vehicle. So I was, you know, only married a short period of time. Like before we left, we had a one-year-old little little boy. Uh, or actually, when I left, he was one-year-old. And uh, so he loaned me the money to buy that that really nice blue LTD two-door two-door Ford. <laughs> but I mean, it was a pretty nice, decent car. So we anyway we. That's the car we took from St. Louis to, to Louisiana, and we would. Uh, it's one of our most miserable trips we've ever been on. Tim would not sleep at all, so I would take Tim for a little bit driving the big truck. And the big truck is a, you know, just a straight rail truck, not a semi, just straight rail uh, truck car hauler. So I'd have Tim in the back, and he'd holler and scream, and I couldn't take it no more. I'd stop. She'd take him for a while. He'd holler and scream. She couldn't take him more. We, I mean, we slipped and switched off, you know, ten times at least. <laughs> finally, uh, for, for finally made it. That was part of quite a drive. I think it was like a 14-hour drive or something like that. Maybe a little longer, maybe a little less, but it was a pretty good little drive. But that was uh, we got there and and Nikki uh, put me up at a what he called the camp. Uh, it's on a river, and uh, you know, so it was on, it was on stilts because it liked to flood there. Uh, anyway, we had his one-year birthday party shortly after we moved there in, in uh, early early January. I think we moved there in late December. But, uh, yeah, that's how we did. We did all that stuff uh, out of Nikki's shop, uh, you know, ran the 18 or so races. And then uh, we did that for two years. And then I decided, I decided I'd had enough. <laughs> uh, which no, I, The I fun meter was enough, already but, pegged at that point, right? <laughs> Yep, fun meters tag. I'm down in South Louisiana with nobody I knew. My grandparents lived a few hours away, but they were getting, you know, really, really old and, and uh, you know, not doing not great health. And uh, somehow or another, uh, I got talked into moving to Oklahoma uh, back to my mother. 
because uh, that's where she was then, and, and uh, try to reconnect with her and my two sisters from on her side. Uh, you know, so that's that's kind of like we stayed down there for two years, and then uh, racing was okay. You know, it wasn't great, but we won races, and you know, just uh, just just I don't know. We just seemed like we were too far disconnected from people we knew. Uh, so it just you know, I think we just thought we'd had enough and wanted to do something else, but. That didn't work either. So, <laughs> so what did you do when you moved to Oklahoma? What went on there? I uh, sold real estate and did a few other things. I actually found a guy that I, uh, uh, Raymond Patterson, Patterson. I uh, built race cars for him at night and sold real estate during the day. And then he was really flexible with my hours. I could do, you know, I could come in late at night after he left, and I could stay to whatever I, whatever he needed to get done. Or sometimes it just, that's kind of what I did. I worked, you know, a good. 18 hours a day for for a couple of years. I think I stayed in Oklahoma for two years. So, so really that, the race the race cars kept me going. I, the real estate didn't keep me going. Okay, so <laughs> ra- you know, I didn't know that. Estate. I didn't know the race cars kept you going. I thought it was real estate up there. But so as yep. your real estate and race car in Oklahoma, what I call Jeff is a big break or big opportunity. Put it that way mm-hmm. comes to play. Yep. For Paul and Paul, how did how did the break? And you tell us what the break was. So, right. so speaking of break, <laughs> so while I was there, while I was there, uh, I I uh, broke my right leg. Uh, it was like a skier's break, they call it, where I twisted it, and I was on crutches during this time period, too. But that was like, I don't know, I'd been there about a year, a little over a year when that happened. And so I had to rush through that, and that didn't help help matters, you know, as far as maybe, you know, made everything really hard. Of course, I still went to work, drove to work, and on crutches and uh, but anyway back to what we're talking about is uh i'm uh let's see that was uh right at the end of the banquet so about this time of the year uh you know 1987 yeah 1987 uh i got a phone call from uh let's see i guess so i might have got a phone call from alan yeah i got a phone call straight from alan and um uh, because I don't think Rusty called me first. I now think we're, he, we're talking Alan, Alan Quickie, right? Alan Quickie, right. Alan called me up. It was, uh, and he said, hey, I've been talking to uh, Rusty, and he recommended me to, recommended you to come to work for me. And then we talked and talked, and, and then I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, you know, because I'd fund me to peg there, too, you know. So, and again, we, we, we never really, every time I get with my mother, we never last. That's the two things I learned. We were we were like oil and water. We did not mix well at all. We didn't mix well in St. Louis. We didn't mix well, you know, uh, you know when I was a you know, when I was an infant. Uh, we didn't mix well when I went to Oklahoma. So we never mixed well. So never, never went to never 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 was never went to the original the, the according to plan you might say. So we never mixed well at all. So again, here I am in Oklahoma City or in St. Tulsa, Oklahoma, basically. Without a family again, my wife, and then now two year, two kids. I have a little son, young son, Troy, who was born in in, uh, in Louisiana. Now we will clarify. So here I am. At that time, you're still married to Evelyn. You continued when. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Evelyn's been through thick and thin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been through the hard times. Oklahoma. She was. Uh, oh yeah. By the way, we, we, you know, speaking of making money in Oklahoma, she she took care of little kids. Uh, in our apartment because we had two little kids. So next thing you know, she's babysitting half a dozen kids in our little 
two-bedroom apartment, and it's it's chaos. <laughs> That's why you stayed gone all the time, be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be around. <laughs> no, but she, she's been a trooper through the whole thing. That's for sure. Like I said, we've been through thick and thin together. Um, you know, it, it's crazy. But uh, Well, so anyway, well Alan, we got to this point where Alan has called you, and okay. you've created a conversation, right? Right. So he talked to me about what he wanted, told, told me about all his trials and tribulations. Because that was 87, so he'd been down for two years, I think, on his own. Yeah, I think it was two years running his own cup team. He'd been through 1,000 employees, and and I say 1,000. It's probably a little exaggeration, but not much. 940, right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so he'd been through a lot of people, never could find somebody that would, you know, that take the, uh, you know, could kind of following the direction he wanted to go and then you know everybody wanted to tell him what to do and that's not what he wanted he wanted somebody to just you know follow his direction his guidance and then you know help him along the way you know and, and okay. then, so hold that thought right there yep all right jeff's gonna take okay. us out and bring us back and we're gonna come back talking about alan quickie Paul Andrews and what he expected out of you. Longtime NASCAR crew chief Paul Andrews. Yeah, let's talk about the Alan Kowicki days. Boy, you talk about some highs and lows there. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportStore.com. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're talking to longtime NASCAR crew chief Paul Andrews, and we're up to where he started working with Alan Kowicki. Interesting story. Go ahead, Mike. Paul, that is an interesting story. As you mentioned, you got... Uh, recommended by Rusty Wallace to Alan Quickie. Alan calls you. You guys talk about things. He's went through 970 employees. He's looking for the great <laughs> guy to run his program, and he's talking to you. And now where does it progress at that point? Yep, so we, we moved down. I mean, you know, we went down there and visited with him. I think I spent like three days down here and, you know, visited with him and talked to him some more, showed me the shop, took me out to dinner, took me out to nightclub and you know we did did all kinds of stuff you know and we squeezed a lot into three or four days show me the areas that i should maybe look at for an apartment you know basically talked about what he needed out of me you know what what he you know again you know small shop uh four or five guys was there and you know he had more help on the weekends but uh we built cars we, we didn't build chassis we bounded our bodies we did everything and it's, that's all what he needed help in he needed somebody that could not just to be the crew chief, but to need somebody that could, uh, you know, help build the cars. And uh, Tony Gibson and myself would do one side. Tony do one side, I do the other side on the bodies, and that's kind of how we started that thing. And and uh, you know, again, we take guidance from Alan, this because he had his vision, and he wanted to, he wanted his people to follow his vision. And and that's, you know, he never really turned you loose completely, uh, but he would get you, he get you headed in the right direction. And you know, there's several things I would do. He said, well. I would have done it that way, but 
it's okay. You, you, that's fine. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, just on how you do things, how you get to it. So, so he had a pretty direct well, opinion of how he wanted things done, huh? Yeah, he wanted he, he, even when you're building things, he, he said, "Well, that's an interesting way to do it." I don't think I'd have done it that way, but I see nothing wrong with the way you did it. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like some of the conversations we'd have. You know, so uh, he just uh, you know he's a highly educated guy for sure. Um, you know, the common uh, some of the common things he didn't didn't grasp. He was always a lot of, about a lot of numbers. Uh, you know, he grasped that great. Uh, but it, yeah, just. Uh, we did a little bit of everything. We we hung bodies, uh, you know, did mechanical work. I mean, just just a, a little bit of everything. I didn't TIG weld at the time, so I wouldn't learn how to TIG weld so I could learn how to do that. So we never had it. We had always had somebody that could do that. Uh, you know, so just, uh, I don't know, we raced out of that little shop on, uh, uh, I don't even remember the name of it. Off International over, Drive, over, wasn't it? International Drive, yep, exactly right. Yep, off International Drive, one of the Dennis Springs, and we rented half the shop. You know, there's uh, always just something going on. You know, we, we had a small, you know, tractor trailer, uh, but, you know, one of the ones where they had the, you didn't have a lift gate, you had a ramp in the back, and which is what everybody had at the time, you know. Very few lift gates were out there. But uh, just, uh, man, just worked hard and raced hard and just kind of did everything along the way. You, you know, we got along. We had our ups and downs to get along. We were not get, did not get along perfectly. But we got along great, really. You know, in the overall grand scheme of things, I mean, you don't get along perfect with your wife, you know. So we got along very well. Uh, and really, when you looked at Alan, uh, he was very demanding. You know, again, he knew what he wanted out of a, out of his people. He knew what he wanted out of his race team. He knew the direction he wanted to go. And that, that of course, changed as we as we all went. But you know, still, overall, the deal was that's what you that's what you had to give Alan. You had to give Alan what he wanted. Uh, you had to build it the way you wanted to build it. You know, if you had a different idea, he was open to that. But yet you had to. Wouldn't be quite the way him, he'd do it, know? but he'd let you do it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, um, so as you, you get know, to working for Alan, as you're working for Alan and Tony Gibson's there with you and a few other guys, I'm not sure who all was there, but you got yep. somewhere along the line you get to running pretty good because you know i mean well, where was uh was there a changing we, time or is it just a progression that the performance came I along with just, it i think just the progression you know we, we was 88 was my first season with him and we won uh phoenix in 1988 and we won every year after that you know uh so so, so let me stop you right he, there for a second phoenix mm -hmm. 88 now is that the what i call the historical race where Alan Quickie then does the Polish victory lap, as he called it, is that yep. is that the time? That's, that's that's exactly right. He wanted to do something special for his 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 first first something. What it was was the first. He'd already had several poles, so he he wanted to do something special. So he him and uh, actually him and Tom Roberts is one who came up with the Polish victory lap. You remember that, Jeff? Uh, well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as Alan, as that, that was uh, Alan's Polish, of course. Now, yeah. <laughs> but his idea was to uh, to run backwards so the race fan he could wave directly to the race fans. And, you know, in the in the uh, late eighties and early nineties, there was race fans all the way around the racetrack uh, because the stands were full, and that's what he would do. He'd wave he'd wave to the race fans. If you notice, he only did it twice. He did it for his very first victory. And then he did it for his for his championship win. That's the only two times he ever done it. And, uh, well, but anyway, that. that was that's yeah, really odd. I thought he did it. I thought he did it every time he won a race. Sure. You know, okay. no, nope, he wanted it. He wanted it to be special. 
and didn't want to do something the same thing every time. And that was his his idea behind that. But you know, when he did that, uh, we were really worried. I mean, NASCAR, you know, they 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 rolled with an iron fist. <laughs> you know, you did what they told you to do. You know, if, uh, and they said, you know, really right before we won the Phoenix race, and and this is talk on the radio, and, and really none of us knew about it. it was, I mean, Al, Alan and Tom Roberts is the one who, who come up with it, and and, Al, and Alan and Tom was also our spotter at the time. He's also Rusty's PR guy for, for, for Miller Brewing Company. But uh, Tom was a spotter. He said, what do you think I should do it? What do you think? He said, just go ahead and go for it. You know, go ahead and do it. And that's what they were talking about, about the Polish Victory Lab. But uh, actually, uh, uh, NASCAR didn't say a word. They loved it. And, uh, and that, you know, so I guess now, you know, victory celebration is something everybody does now. So there, there's cool. another fact, Jeff Ken, I didn't know. So you said t- Tom Roberts, TR, everybody knows it was this, was Alan Spotter. Right. Yep. He wow. was Alan Spotter. In, uh, he was Rusty's you know, PR 80, guy. Eighty nine. I remember. Yeah. Right. I remember Tom. Yeah. Yep. yep. So Paul, when all this exactly is going right. on, when when Alan's uh, winning Phoenix and doing the Polish victory lap, are you actually crew chief on the team or or in other yep. uh, some so other so capacity? And that's you know, and I really wasn't. Required us. I wasn't qualified to be a cup crew chief in 1988, but yet Alan didn't want to bring me in there and let me be a worker and then make me a crew chief. He'd rather bring me in there, make me a crew chief, and make sure that I succeeded. You know, he gave me the tools that I needed to succeed, succeed, and then I brought everything I could bring along with it uh, along the way. You know, as far as you know, my, I learned hard and fast. You know, he. He, he thought he, even he told me, "Hey, don't don't taught me how to." Nobody taught me. We just tell hey, you, I wouldn't talk to the guys like that. You know, I was probably a little a brash, you might say. And so I, I, you might want to tone that down a little bit and say, "Okay, got it." You know, so <laughs> they, you know, that's the type of things that I would do. You know, and, and you know, it, uh, but he didn't want to bring me in. Like I said, as just a mechanic, and then turn me into crew chief. He thought I needed to come in as a crew chief and start. You know, again, follow his guidance, follow his direction, and then. You know, be the crew chief. You know, and that's that's what we did. You know, it was uh, it worked well. Uh, I, I'm always the guy who uh, pays attention and learns uh, every step of the way, even to this day. You know, I I uh, I don't rest on my laurels. Uh, I'm always you know working hard uh, and, and you know trying to figure out how I can do this better or how what else we can do or you know and I don't want to. There's no really no downtime, you know. If, if I'm at work and I don't have something to do, I'm gonna go find something to do, and that's kind of the way you had to be back then, you know, because we're a small group. Uh, we did a lot with a little. How many guys uh, you have on that team know? when you uh, won your first race at Phoenix? You think? I mean, what? How many employees were at Allen Quickie Racing oh. when you won won Phoenix? I don't think there's that many. Uh, I, there might have been eight, but I don't. Eight that, and winning a, a, a race number. in the Cup Series, Jeff Kent. That's, that's was, yeah, that was pretty amazing, wasn't it? That, and then we did our own pit practice, our own pit stops too. There was no bringing bringing in hired guns on that stuff. Well, we, we got <laughs> you know, half. So we did all that stuff. We got a little bit less than half this segment left, so I want to go from Alan Quickie winning the the first race he ever won out at Phoenix, doing the Polish victory lap, which was famous. Everybody still remembers that today, and then. You guys continue to win, and you get to a point where you win a championship. But take me from winning that race at Phoenix, fast forward to the championship. Okay. So, so as, you ready as, now? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Yep. Okay. So, so yeah, from um, 
So in 80 and 88, we were on our first race, right? So and that's uh, like the next to last race. I think Phoenix was, you know, Atlanta was the last race then. So 88, and that's so 89, 90, and really 91. 88, 89, we definitely were making progress. We make, you know, we just kept building along the way. We get more people, hire more people. Uh, Tony Gibson was still there. Uh, we had a, several of the key guys that came along uh, that were just good, solid racers. Peter Jellin, which works for me now at KBM, works with me. I don't work for me. but uh, That was Jeff's neighbor. Peter, Peter was my neighbor when I lived in Harrisburg. He's still there. We moved, oh, yeah. yeah, we moved to, to Charlotte. So uh, to tell Peter I said hello. <laughs> I will, absolutely. So, you know, we had Tom out and, uh, you know, several of the guys, that, you know, Jeff Bice, I can't, uh, other people, you know, I can't, uh, the names don't come to mind right now. But anyway, so we had a, we kept building a good solid group. You know, we moved from uh, International Drive to our, our, our building where Alan, where Alan uh, building that Alan built. Uh, now, that must have been 90, because 90, I forget I had my years. So that must have been 90, moved in the building. And then 91, we didn't have a sponsor. Uh, so, yeah, so 89, 90 were really good. We had Xerox. And I guess ni- uh, 91, Xerox went away. Uh, we, had been, we had just been in our new building for a short period of time. It was looking a little grim, you know. <laughs> but then, uh, we, you know, we kept building on our, on our, our cars and building our, you know, testing. And, because you could test in just about anywhere you wanted to go, anywhere you could make the trip. Uh, we, you know, we just kept making things better and kept getting, uh, we'd buy a few new cars. Like our general deals about two new cars every year, two new chassis every year. And then we kind of revamped the old stuff. But just kept building on that and just kind of just kept making things better. Uh, and really at the end of the 91 season, even though we had sponsor woes, uh, Hooters came along. Uh, after like the second or third race of the season, because I think we went to Daytona as an Army car, which was R.G. Reynolds, uh, which is a series sponsor, is the one who paid for that. And then they had, uh, we had a few other things, and a guy named Mark, I forget Mark's name, went to Atlanta and missed the Atlanta race and had Hooters on his on his uh, car. So Hooters came to, came to Allen, you know, wanted to, wanted to put their name on, on the Hooters on, on Alan's car. Of course, you know, Alan was worried about, well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and you had to know Alan, and I could hear him saying that to the, probably the, the owner, which is, uh, he said, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, what I want to do, you know. Let's talk about some more races first, you know. What about doing the next race? What are you doing there? So he, basically he talked them into like a six-race deal to put them on, a, you know, and they were looking for a one-race deal. And then it progressed from there. Uh, and then, you know, next, I think Hooters on the car for the rest of the year, you know, and then, uh, so our 91 season was, we thought we had some, I don't remember, remember where we finished the points. I know it was top 10, which is, you know, a pretty good deal for a small team, but we felt like at the end of 91 that we had a really good group, solid group. We, we felt we were, you know, we didn't think we'd go out and win every race and, you know, win a championship for 92, but we said, we've got a good good thing going on here right now you know and we had uh you know good performance we had some some uh i think we might have had some issues where we lost fell out on a couple of races you know that actually i think we're a little higher than that in the points till we had some failures but we worked all that stuff cleaned it all up for the 92 season and then next thing you know 92 here, here comes 92 season and we led early on in the points we finished great in daytona 
um, you know, we did a lot of stuff, you know, early on. And then uh, I don't remember how long we led the points. We did lead the points for a couple of races early on and then just uh, just kept plugging along, you know. And, then, of course, we can't go talk about the 92 season without talking a little bit, a little bit about Dover. Yeah, I remember <laughs> about something about Dover. Do you not remember any of that? I don't. What's yeah. the story? Paul, fast forward a minute and a half. Caption Dover real quick for us. So Dover was uh, was two races and seven clips, so that's pretty hard to do, right? So we went through two backups the first race and three, and uh, one race, one backup the first race, and then two backups the second race. We actually ended our, you know, finished the race in our in our fifth car at the two races at Dover. So it was uh, pretty exciting, that's for sure. All right. Well, Jeff's going to take us to a break. We're going to come back and talk about that championship at Atlanta, and then as we. Fast forward from there. I remember that. I think I was at that race, actually. We're talking a longtime NASCAR crew chief, Paul Andrews. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportStore.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. We're talking to longtime NASCAR crew chief Paul Andrews, going to take us to Atlanta with Alan Kulwicki. Mike? Paul, we're going to run out of time. We only got 15 minutes left in a segment. So you guys had went through all these race cars at Dover. You go into Atlanta the following, you know, the end of the season, behind on points. What happened? Yeah, so we uh, we went there as five guys eligible to win, win the championship. You know, about two of them were you know probably you know long shot, but it was uh, Bill, uh, Davey Allison, and, and ourselves. You know, the top three. We were we were all neck and neck going into the championship. So anything could happen. And I think Davey was actually leading. Bill was second. We were third. So we you know, the race started off, and you know that was the era of. Radial tires were coming in, so we broke our uh, first gear leaving pit road the very first time we left pit road. So we had to leave with second or third gear. And used time we tried to leave on fourth gear, so you didn't mess things up, you know, internal in the transmission to make more things break. So that was the first thing. And then we had uh, Allen led, Bill had led, uh, Davey got knocked out. I think uh, Ernie Irvin was the, got got into got into. Davey and knocked him out. He Davy had was in the two wrecks actually. So, but he was out of the race. Uh, so it was between Bill and us. And the other two guys were like I said, they were kind of a long shot anyway. But uh, so Bill and us uh, were leading the most, leading the laps. Every lap they were fighting to the start finish line to who could lead that lap. And then you know I think it finally got went down where Allen had kind of inched ahead a little bit and was pretty much consistently staying ahead. So, everyone leading the race uh, behind with Bill second. So we're coming down to the last pit stop of the day. Uh, we knew we had knew we hadn't led the most laps, but because of our, this is why I mentioned the transmission, because we had broke uh, first gear, we knew we weren't going to leave pit road very well. 
So, again, no computers, no Internet. <laughs> well, probably a little Internet then, but not much. But no computers. We didn't know. Uh, we relied on our count on how many laps we led, and NASCAR would confirm it uh, after we led the most laps. Uh, and that's what, we were, that's what we stayed out as long as we possibly could to lead the most laps. And uh, knowing that that's, we needed that edge because we knew once we come in the pit, we weren't going to be able to get off pit road fast enough to get in front of Bill because of our, our transmission issues. So NASCAR came across across the radio, which is you know how they communicated to teams in general, said that seven cars led the most laps. So then we pitted. So then the next part of that equation is we have to finish at least second. So we... We come in, knowing we can't spend much time on pit road. Bill had already pitted. Uh, you know, we stayed out and led, again, led the most laps, come down pit road, give it a splash of gas, no tires, and then uh, and take off. You know, of course, we're all pushing the car, which you're not supposed to do, but they were allowed to push the car as long as they had issues. So we pushed the car off pit road, you know, got it going, and, uh, and then, you know, went on to finish second. So the funny part of this story is, and it's not really funny. One minute, especially. So, again, like we said, they had to take a splash of gas. So, we counted. I don't know. I think I think we said we need to count three, three or four seconds of gas. And we don't have cameras and that stuff, you know. So, Tony is a gas man. Tony Gibson. We he put the gas in, did his count. Once he nodded his head, because he knew when he plugged in and knew when he had his three seconds, and he nodded his head, and we push off and go. So we're weighing the gas after a race or after after the pit stop and then and one of the few times and if you gotta know Alan, one of the few times Alan would not was not talking on the radio. So we he always wants the information he wants information overload and he processes processes it. So I tell him, Hey, um, you know, we're in second place and one of the things we said this is I'm backing up a little bit, one of the things we said before the race, we're not gonna talk about the championship until we need to. If there's a reason. So I said, hey, I come across the radio after we gassed, and I said, hey, uh, you know, we're a little, just conserve gas whenever you can. The third place is so far back, and I'll let you know if he comes a little closer, and we'll keep giving you lap times and all that stuff. And he said, what do you mean? And this is like five laps later, you know. He said, what do you mean I need to conserve gas? He said, well, we may not have got it completely full. Oh, we may have not got it, uh, enough in there, you know, enough gas in there. You know, we may not may not got our full three seconds in there. So it's like, you know, dead silence. <laughs> so it was, uh, that was like said, not funny then. Because uh, Tony was, uh, him and his uh, pregnant wife at the time were back on the pit road, at, uh, at the backside of pit road, and Tony's sweating, and we're all sweating. You know, we all weighed the gas cans. We knew it was close. We just knew it was close. And Tony told me, he said, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell you this, but I'd already told Beth to go get in the car uh, and get it warmed up and have it go very closer in case, uh, case we ran out because I was just leaving. <laughs> but, but, and that's a fact, you know. It, it, uh, so, you know, obviously we, uh, we, we finished the race uh, and we had enough fuel and we had enough to do the Polish victory lap. The second, Alan's second Polish victory lap, and we won the championship. So that was uh, – pretty amazing that's for sure well that was a memorable time and we all looking at each other right here there's three of us and we're like nodding our heads like we all know a part of that story right. you know i remember some of it. so it was an exciting time 
You guys win that championship. You celebrate. Everything's going wonderful. The uh, I think the hashtag, we'll call it a hashtag today, it wasn't, but didn't you guys remove like the T or something off a of Thunderbird and make your team kind of the Underbird or something like that, a little Mickey Mouse <laughs> logo? And, right. And, yeah. So, so, so quick story on that one is, is we were at uh, North Wilkes World. It's a little short track. And we had ended the race in the T and H was knocked off Thunderbird. So going into Atlanta, we had we asked the Ford guys, I say, hey, can we go in as Thunderbird and do the little Mighty Mouse thing? And, and that's what we did. Yeah, exactly right. That was pretty cool. And that's oh. how it happened, though. It's a oh, true really? story on how it happened. <laughs> There's a nice story behind everything. So now we're gonna we're having a blast as a team. You won the championship. You're going into the off season. You guys are champions. And I don't need to bring up bad things, but the start of the following year doesn't turn out really well. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's a sad deal, absolutely. You know, we did some more testing uh, before the banquet and after the banquet. Uh, you, you know, of course, went to Daytona for a January test. Things were really good there. Alan was learning how to cope as a, to be a champion, uh, which is, you know, all the things he had to do as a champion. And, and what's it was a learning a learning curve for him. Obviously, he'd never been a Cup Series champion, and there's a lot of lot of demand. And so he was going through all that stuff, uh, trying to get you know, you know, get everybody what everybody needed. Uh, we even roped off our pits uh, at the Daytona test, and he got we got in trouble about that because <laughs> he didn't want to be bothered while he's working on the car. Working, we were working on the car. He wanted to be left alone, you know. And that didn't go over very very well in the media, but it's pretty funny actually now, you know. But uh, so we did all that stuff. Uh, uh, you know, things were going good, and like you said, it was, uh, it was a tragic ending to 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 a, what could have been a long story, you know, a, tra- a long history with, with Alan. It's a, it's a shame we lost him, and uh, you know, tragic accident. Uh, but yeah, it was a sad deal. You know, that thing uh, goes back <clears throat> goes back to our work ethic. Uh, our pit stops were okay; they weren't great. I believe. I can't remember when they took one of the guns away. We had three guns at one time. Um, that might have been when they took one of the guns away, so I don't remember. But uh, anyway, we decided to, going into Bristol, we decided to uh, stay and work on pit stops. And our one guy, uh, Joe Covington, who was a uh, part-time guy, just basically came on the weekends, uh, he he couldn't get there when we needed him to get there because we had to, Alan had to go to the appearance at Knoxville in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, on the way to Bristol. And then we generally all flew in the plane as a group. So Joe was having trouble, you know, getting there early enough to do the pit stop practice. And so let's just stay back. We've always drove to Bristol, Bristol in the past. We'll stay back. We'll do our pit stop practice. And we'll drive on to Bristol like we always do. Wasn't no big deal to us. Well, then, of course, that's what saved all our lives, you know, because uh, that plane went down that night on the way back from on the way from Knoxville to the Hooters' appearance uh, on the way from Knoxville to Bristol, and then uh, the rest of it, to say, is history. You know, it was a tragic, tragic loss. So, so the sure, few people you know. that are listening, or the multitude of people that are listening that don't know the story, as Alan Quickie and Paul Andrews win the championship, they go into 1993, and uh, as Paul's mentioned, they're going to an appearance. He's not on a plane by God graces, and uh, there was a plane crash going mm-hmm. into Johnson City, Tennessee, I think it was, or somewhere in that area, and we lost right. our uh, reigning champion, Alan Quickie. I remember in, the news report. I was at home watching TV. Passed in an airplane crash, and uh, 
So we'll move on from there. You know, that was a memorable time in life. And Paul, I think at that point, you know, you're probably thinking, what's going on now? We've lost our owner. We've lost our driver. We've lost everything. But uh, I, I, real quick, did someone step up and finish running that team? Did you run it for some races yeah. or the rest of the year? Or what happened there? So, so I managed the team. Well, I'm, I wouldn't say managed. I ran the team as from a car standpoint, you know, from the crew chief standpoint. I ran the team from that standpoint, which is not something I've done. You know, I've been the crew chief, but yet – you know, like I said earlier, you know, Alan had his, his his thought process, and I had to follow that thought process that he wanted to do. You know, and, and so now it's like, okay, go ahead with it. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, I did, you know. And, and then, uh, of course, uh, and before the year was over, uh, Jeff went out and bought the team and then um, uh, and actually ended up driving for the team, uh, you know, before the year was over. So uh, it, was a, it was a great Great time with Jeff. We were in Hoosier Tires the following year, won a bunch of races, and then, uh, you know, and finally I decided that uh, it's time to go do something different. I didn't really agree with some of the things that, that was going on, so I thought, you know, we need to go do something different. So, and that's what I did. I went to work for Krampus uh, uh, Haas at the time and ended up being Pinsky Krampus. All right, you got, you got three minutes to fast forward your story. You're at Krampus so, yeah, so, then where do you go? Krampus Haas, it turned off, turned into Penske Krampus, and then uh, we ran lead races, lawn races with Jeremy Mayfield, and then uh, went to uh, J went to uh, uh, shoot DEF for Dale, worked for Dale Earnhardt under Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. Steve Park was the driver, won races with him. Uh, you know, so it was, it was a fun time. And, you know, then of course I think we had the loss, had the tragic loss of losing Dale, and then. I left there shortly. I went to Roush after that. So I just kind of had to bounce around a little bit after that. And pretty much my uh, winning ways were over from the Cup Series. And then I started running. I uh, went to Petty's for a few years. And, yeah, then that when uh, I got actually got injured uh, after I left Petty's. And then uh, uh, with Bobby Labonte there at the, at the end and then got, got injured. And I'm summing everything up as quick as I can here. But, anyway, I got injured and uh, – was out for a little while, went back to work for Michael Waltrip, and then that didn't work very well, and uh, then ended up running ARCA team for 12 years. <laughs> and now the ARCA team finally closed up, and I'm uh, at KBM shop foreman right now, and everything's going great. Well, Jeff Kent, what I think we've learned in this deal, besides Paul Andrews being a really nice guy, cool guy, growing up the hard way, not knowing anything about racing, getting opportunity, he's been a winner through his whole career. ASA wins. Right. Come, do, doesn't do any – Xfinity stuff or anything like that. He goes straight to a cup championship. Ah, it's great stories. <laughs> yeah. That and the connection between vacuum cleaners and, and race cars. There yeah, man, that's pretty funny, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. My, uh, my little brother, real quick on that, I'm going to share a little story. Paul, you'll love this. My little brother, Kenny, you know, is on pretty avid on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. So he calls oh, yeah. out he calls out Uncle Gary last week via the, the social media world. Because he says really? Uncle Gary tells him that his stuff just shows up on his phone. He says <laughs> my stuff doesn't just show show up on the phone. So, uh, <laughs> Paul, I tell That's you what, we, we've enjoyed this conversation. We can go on for hours and hours, but they only give us an hour. And uh, so you're over at K KBM. You guys are winning races. And uh, what's what's 2022 having hold for KBM? Well, I think it's uh, got a lot of the same drivers. We have the two primary drivers coming back. Uh, uh, of course, John Hunter Nemechek and, and uh, 
Uh, she put me on the spot now. That's all right. <laughs> but, uh, You're uh, running three trucks over there is all we need to know. Running three <laughs> trucks again, and, and then, uh, and, you know, everything's looking really good. So we're excited about next year for sure. Well, Paul, you've been a longtime friend, family friend, and everything, and we really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully have you back someday to kind of add to this story because we, we certainly went through a fast stage in this last session here, uh, Jeff. We but, did. That's a lot of stuff. We, yeah. co- we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> all right, Paul. We, we appreciate it. Longtime NASCAR crew chief Paul Andrews joins us today. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.